John chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And as we jump in there, let me just say this. This is quickly becoming one of my favorite stories in the Bible. As we've focused as a church on the gospel, as that's been the central theme of much of what we're doing, this story uh, has become very special to me, ultimately because it gives us such a wide view of the gospel. Um, it's different than Nicodemus in that as we studied Nicodemus in chapter 3, it's different than him because in, in that story of Nicodemus, we can only assume a conversion at some point. We can only think that it happened. We don't really see evidence of it there in the midst of that story. And so some theologians go and, and they believe they're reading about the conversion in Nicodemus. Other theologians go to that story and they don't, they don't say that they're, you're reading about the, the conversion of Nicodemus. You're just reading about Jesus Christ bringing the gospel and teaching the gospel to this man. But in the story of this woman at the well, you see a clear-cut picture of someone responding to the gospel message. And so as you get that wider view, as you see it begin to transform her and convert her, then you begin to see the implications that come from that. And so we get this wide view of the gospel that we haven't seen yet. And so as we look tonight, as we go to the, the passage tonight, we are going to see more than a gospel that's oriented on one person. Because ultimately, as we've read so far in, in, in John chapter 4, that's what it's been all about. It's been, it's been focusing on the effects of the gospel in one woman's life. See, what, we, what we've really seen is we've seen two threads, two stories of two people, one engaging the other, um, Jesus Christ and the woman at the well. But that's been the, the ultimate focus. For, for example, if you just think back, we started as Jesus is going through Samaria. He's, he's on his way through Samaria. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He sends his disciples on for food, and he sits down at a well, and here comes this woman. And so this woman comes along, and we see Jesus t talk to her about the fact that she's dry, that she's dead, and that she needs life, and he's the source. We then see part of the conversation to turn to the fact that she's sinful, she's an outcast, she's off by herself, but we see Jesus approach her. And we saw that she had a flawed view of worship. She approached God based on tradition, based on, on uh, a, a very physical and very man-centered view. But Jesus didn't leave her in that. He taught her. And so we see these two threads kind of intermingling and, 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 and twisting together and, and, and working together. But what's interesting is tonight we'll see how there's many more threads in the picture that we just haven't had a chance to see yet. As, as you think about the woman, I want you to think about three things. As, as I've kind of pointed out some of the things that she was dealing with, but when she started into that, in, in, off to the well that morning, she was doing what she probably did every day. She was concerned about physical needs. How many moms have thought about your kids for physical needs? Probably all of you. I can think of Amy, I, and I think of her only because I see it happen all the time. Uh, but she is constantly taking care and, and, and provi providing for, uh, uh, putting things together, making sure the boys have what they need. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And this is what this woman was about doing. We know that she wasn't married to the man she was living with, but she was focused on physical needs. And so she takes off to the well that morning with one intent. I'm going to get water, and I'm going home. And we know that it didn't work out that way. She, in, she meets Jesus, and Jesus begins to speak with her, and quickly, 
her, her concern or her focus changes from meeting a physical need to dealing with social concerns. Because, see, Jesus, Jesus says to her, he says, well, go call your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And so she's not about to tell him that she's living with a guy. And even before they get to that point, Jesus says, give, give me a drink. And she says, you're a Jew. Why would you ask me? So we see her deal with an issue of physical need. We see her deal with a concern of social concerns or traditions. And then we see her begin to deal with spiritual concerns. Somewhere in this conversation, somewhere along this way, something happens in her. If you've been converted, if you're a believer today, you understand what begins to happen in her. She begins to go through this process of conversion. Jesus is making her alive. He's bringing her life. He's giving her that living water. And she begins to be concerned not just about the physical need, not just about the social problems or the the traditions that she doesn't meet, but she begins to have a spiritual concern, and she's asking then about worship. In fact, Jesus had been the pursuer. He'd been the one engaging and been the one leading this conversation. But at this point, she begins to ask. She begins to speak to him about worship. And so we see her begin to have concerns about spiritual needs. Now, as that thread kind of unfolds, we see a thread unfold about Jesus. Now, it's not his making. It's not his... It's, it's not his presentation of himself, but as she encounters Jesus, the first thing she thinks is what? He's a Jewish man, just another guy. Something about him, I don't know, you know. Um, if, if I had a Samaritan and a Jew in front of me, I would probably say something like, they all look the same to me, you know. I wouldn't know. I had friends who were, who were Korean when I was in Korea, and we would go to... Uh, go out to places where sometimes there was quite a few Japanese people. There was a, an amusement park in Korea that was this way, and they would see Japanese people there, and they'd say, they're Japanese. How do you know? You all look the same to me. And I would say that to them, and we'd have big fun with that. But anyway, the fact is that something told her he was a Jewish man, and that's how she recognized him. As he begins to speak, begins to open things up to her, she understands that he's a prophet. But that's as far as she gets on her own. As she sits, and this is where we closed out last week, as she sits and she speaks with him about the the tradition, the physical need, and then the spiritual need, she she, she can't move beyond this on her own. She says, we're expecting the Messiah, we're looking forward to it, and he is going to straighten this all out for us. He's going to answer all our questions. And what does he say? I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. You see, so, so Jesus, he, she, she sees him as a man. She sees him as a prophet. But Jesus has to reveal to her that he's the Messiah. And so we see these two threads re- really uh, uh, working together and, and, and coming close to one another. And, and in my mind, I'm picturing them braiding together. And, and Jesus' path and her path intersecting and beginning to intermingle or intertwine. And so that's this picture that I want you to have. Because as we pick up the story tonight, we're going to see this interaction. We're going to see how it begins to, to really spread out to many different paths. We're going to see it begin to uh, affect many different threads of many different lives. It's much like a rock that's dropped in a lake. When you drop a rock in a lake, there's this one central point of impact. But it doesn't just stop there, does it? It kind of goes out. 
And the ripples begin to go out and they go out and they go out and they go out. Well, when we approach the gospel, this is the picture of the gospel that we have had so far. And this is the picture that we've seen in Scripture so far, is that, that God came into the world, God took on flesh, dwelt among us, walked among us, lived among us, taught and engaged people. And we see Him engaging individuals. But what we begin to see very specifically in this, in this passage, it has happened in other passages so far in John, but in this passage in particular, we are going to see that the gospel doesn't just stop with you and with me. It's not a self-centered, it's not a self-help story. It is about God interacting people, but it doesn't stop when He interacts you. It didn't stop with this woman at the well. It didn't become all about this woman at the well. Yes, God chose this woman at the well. Yes, Jesus knew as He went into Samaria that He was going to meet this woman at the well, but it was never about just this woman at the well. And as we look in this passage tonight, we'll begin to see that begin to unfold. And we'll begin to see how, how the light of the gospel, the, the, the light of the gospel is more than just a, 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 a spotlight. It's more like a floodlight. We'll see how the, how the path of the gospel is never a single, only an ordinary path. We'll see how the power of the gospel is more than just you standing up on your own and, and defending or, or preparing for yourself away. As we finish this story tonight, we're going to see some amazing things happen. But what I want more than anything for each of us is to take home a much fuller, much broader, much wider picture of the gospel than just that Jesus saved me. I don't want you to forget that Jesus saved you. I want you to be excited about that, and I want you to worship because of that, and I want you to respond to God with just thanksgiving and praise. But I don't want you to let it stop there. I don't want you to let it end with you. And so let's just jump into the passage. We're going to read a lot of verses. I'll try and break it up with some comments. But listen close and just hang in there with me. Um, and, and I know that you will do fine. We're going to start reading verse 27 of chapter 4. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked... What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Now remember, Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well. He's had this whole conversation with her. Likely, we've only seen highlights of that conversation. We, we probably have not seen the whole thing. But as the disciples return, they see him speaking with her, they see him talking to her, and they're amazed by it. He's, it goes on and says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Now, so while she's off doing her thing in the village and and telling people what's happened, his disciples begin to talk to him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? You see how narrow-minded they are? You see how, how focused they are? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages and now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. 
I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So the woman goes into town. While this is going on, Jesus is teaching his disciples. The woman goes into town, talks about this, and many people believe. You see that? We've talked about belief. They've, they've, they've listened to her. They've acknowledged what she's saying is true. They, they agree with it. And then they begin to trust in it. They begin to, to lean on it like a pair of crutches and, and, and let it support them. And they move because of it. They act because of it. And so the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. And because of that testimony, they begin to believe. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So here we are. We've got this amazing thing happening. This woman, who's not a theologian, she's not a, she's not a seminary student, she's, she, she's, she's not uh, trained in rabbinical law, she's, she's a Samaritan and doesn't even have all of the Scriptures. You see, they only... Held to the five, first five books of the Bible. They held to the law, the, the Pentateuch. And, and they held to that and they rejected everything else. This is what's so beautiful about this story. Because Jesus engaged her, Jesus converted her, and then she goes and begins to share that story. And because of what she began to do, people began to believe. And they came out to meet Jesus. Do you realize what hope there is for each person sitting in this room to be used of God in amazing and powerful ways? So often, we leave it for the guy that's trained. So often, we leave it for the, for the person who seems to have it all together. So often, we think that, that, that i got to get ready for this. i got to be prepared for this. And I don't want to take that away. I don't want to... I don't wanna, I don't wanna, negate education. I don't want to negate preparation and trying to hone your abilities and trying to to build upon your skills. But this woman is able to begin to see a whole people changed and converted for the gospel and she's only known Jesus for moments. For moments. You see, what's amazing is that through her and in her actions, you begin to see the light of the gospel just spraying everywhere. The, the light of the gospel, as I said, is, it's, it's more like a floodlight than a spotlight. There's, a, there's times in your life where the light shines directly at you and it illuminates sin in your life. It illuminates your fallen condition. It illuminates the, the, the struggles that come from the fallen condition that, that we all experience together. But as Jesus engages this world and, and comes to people, it's, it, as, as He's pointing that light, it is reflecting all over us. I mean, think about, think about first what we see in this woman's life. First we see that, she, that, that, that as she begins to speak and as she begins to talk back to Jesus, she's surprised that, that He's a Jewish man and beginning to speak to her. So, so we see her trusting in her tradition. She, she's about to tell him that, that she, she, she wasn't about to tell him that she was living with someone because she's counting on her image. She wants to save herself 
through her image. She, she's more concerned about a place of worship than the object of her worship. And you begin to see that as she begins to engage with Jesus and she talks with Jesus. You see those things evident. And now, now in this passage, we see, we begin to see things like this evident in the disciples' lives. Now, I'm one that as I've read the Bible, I like to lift those guys up on this pedestal and think of them as some holier class and, and more special. And they, they really were the ones that had it together. And God used them because they were more worthy than the rest of us. Absolutely not. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were no different than the rest of humanity that walked the face of the earth. The difference was what God chose them to do. The difference was not in them. It was in what God was doing. And as we read this passage, we begin to see in them the same problems that we saw in her. You see, they too were surprised when they walked up on Jesus and saw him speaking with a woman. There was a tradition in that day, a rabbinical law or a rabbinical teaching that says this. Let me just read it to you so that I won't mess it up. <clears throat> a man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister sister or his daughter on account of that or on i'm sorry on account of what men may think boy i said sister and it threw me all off let me read it again a man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn not even with his sister or his daughter on account of what men may think a man shall not talk with a woman in the street not even with his own wife and especially not with another woman on account of what men may say. You see, the whole, the whole premise of the law built into these people, this, this need, this necessity in life to live up to a certain picture of righteousness. They, they, were, they were seeking to make everyone else believe that they were worthy based on what they were doing. They were working for their righteousness. And so when people looked at them, they could say, well, I'm righteous because look at me. Look at what I'm doing. It's all about their work. It was all about their, their image. And you see that begin to be evident as these disciples are surprised that Jesus is speaking with this woman. And even after the woman left, you can see that they're not quite catching on to what Jesus is doing. You can see that they're still holding to their mission. And they're missing sight of what Jesus had said about doing. When he left, or when she left, I'm sorry, when she leaves, they say, eat. He says, I've already got food. And what do they say? Well, did somebody else bring him food? Did he get food from somewhere else? Almost as if, well, we went and got him food. What's he doing eating? He knew we were getting him food. You guys have never done that, have you? What is he thinking? Doesn't he know the trouble we're going to? And so we begin to see that even in these disciples, as the light of the gospel engages this woman, as the light of the gospel shines on this woman, it doesn't just point out her problems. It points out fallenness altogether. You see, if we took this passage and we brought it into our own lives, likely, the likely truth would be that it would demonstrate our fallenness as well. 
And in the last three weeks, I've tried to, tried to help you see that. Not because I want to condemn you or beat you down or, or, or make you feel unworthy, although we are unworthy. But I want you to understand that even in the midst of your fallenness, the light of the gospel is a real and, and, and all-encompassing thing. And, and as we stand in it, we understand we're unworthy, but we're able to stand in it because of the grace of our completely and unconditionally loving God and Savior. So this light of the gospel begins to shine, and, and, and because of the light of the gospel, you see, it, it reveals these flawed, flawed perspectives in us. Flawed perspectives about worship. Flawed perspectives about tradition. Flawed perspectives about meeting physical needs. Think about it. How many of you get up in the morning to go to work as an act of worship? Honestly. How many of you work your butt off to earn a paycheck so that you can give more to the church or that you can give more to God? How many of us chase the dream of, I am going to sell myself out, I'm going to give more to the church than I keep for myself? How many of us look at life as it belongs to God rather than, this is mine and I'm going to give him 10%? See, the reality is, the reality is, is that we all have a flawed perspective. And if we approach life as it's ours and we can give God a portion, that's a flawed perspective. The light of the gospel shines brightly upon that. You see, as we stand here now in the light of the gospel, we, we, we have to realize that it all belongs to Him. And we're just responsible now for how we use it. You see, the light of the gospel, boy, it shines brightly. And there is nothing, nothing that can hide in it. But it doesn't shine on us just to, to, to crush us. It shines on us so that we can realize how desperately we need our Savior how desperately we need to depend on something than ourselves. You see, because it's very easy to get up and go to work and think that I'm earning a living for my family. It's very easy to think that I'm the one that puts food on the table. It's very easy for me to think that I'm standing here serving and that I'm going to change you or your mind in some way. But the reality is, as the gospel light shines, I'm merely a tool. I'm merely a tool used in God's service. I'm merely a servant that God provides for so that I can provide for my family. You see, the light of the gospel, it will shine on every one of us even though it doesn't shine directly on us. It's more like a floodlight than a spotlight. The path of the gospel. 
as you think about how this story has been told and you think about how this story has begun, it's begun between two people. And I brought that out just a minute ago. As you think about how this path begins to, to not split, but how other paths kind of begin to intertwine and begin to intersect. You see, as we saw this woman, her day started likely as every other day. She probably was not doing anything different than she did any other day. Do you guys have routine? Do you wake up in the morning and, okay, by this time you're in the shower, by this time you're brushing your teeth, by this time you're dressed and in your car, by this time you're doing whatever it is you do. This is probably just how her day started out. And when she showed up at that well, she arrived lost. But the path of the gospel shows that she lost, that she left found. She arrived, and in this path of her life, when she arrived, she, was, she had a flawed view of worship. But when she left, she left to worship. You see, as you think about what she got up and went and did, as you think about what she was doing after she left, how, how else can you honor God other than sharing His story? How else can you, can you bring Him praise and glory by speaking about what He's done in your life? She arrived with a flawed view of worship, but she left to worship. And she had gone to a well to do her daily chores, but she leaves a servant of the kingdom of God. That's a path. That's an amazing path if you ask me. But that's a path that my hope for you is, is that you can look at your life and you can think about that path in your life and at that point that the gospel intersected your life and shined its light brightly on you and you began to walk with Him. When you arrived lost and left found. When you arrived worshiping all kinds of things of the world, but left worshiping God in a true and in, in, in spirit and in truth. See, the disciples, they had the same problem, or, or not the same problem, but the, the same thing could be said about them. As you look at the path of their life and at the path that they've been following, the disciples come down this way, and, and ultimately we see Jesus intersect them in their life and in the path of their life at some point in, earlier in our story. But they come to this point where they too are, are arriving here at this point with one thing in mind and leaving with something totally different being realized. Why do you think they went into Samaria? Do you think they went into Samaria to, to meet this woman and to speak the gospel to these people? Quite likely they were following Jesus and thinking this is the way we're going. He's going this way, so I'm going to go with him. Chances are they walked into Samaria because it was the shortest distance to Galilee. And what happened along the way? You see, the path of the gospel often parallels many of the paths we take, but it's got a different outcome. It's got a different, it's, it's, it's got a different perspective. It's got a different point that it's heading towards. These men went into town to get food, and that's the path of their life. That's the path their life takes them down. They're thinking, oh, we're going to go get food and we're going, to, we're going to take care of Jesus. He's hungry. And they get back. And he had to teach them a new lesson. 
See, the path of the gospel, it always leads us to the world. Just like we see with these disciples, we, we, we would think that the path of the gospel, you know, we, we think that, oh, well, I'm, 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 I'm saved and, and I've got my church life on Sunday and I've got my work life and I've got my home life and my family life and that's just the way the Western mind takes it. We look at everything in compartments and we, and we box everything up nice and neat so that nothing gets mixed up and so that, so that we can kind of control everything and our life kind of makes sense to us. But the path of the gospel, Jesus told us to go. Not just go, but as you go. As you live your life, as the as you move through life, go, be my witnesses, make disciples. And so this path of the gospel, it moves us through life and we, we head into it with one intention and realize that while we're there, there's some mission that God's about to do. It leads us into the world. It never leads us away. You see, in a legalistic mind, mind frame or in a legalistic way of looking at things, the legalist would say... I can't get near them. I can't be close to them because their dirtiness might rub off. And so I'm going to withdraw. The liberal mind frame or the liberal mindset would say, I'm going to look exactly like them. I don't want them to know there's anything different. I just want to live out among them. The gospel says, go among them and bring the truth. It brings us to the world. At every turning point. At every place we go. It never says, go to work and when you get off work, be a Christian and make disciples. It never says, go to be your fa- go, go spend time with your family. And after you're done spending time with your family, go up and go, go make witnesses. It's as we go, as we go about life, we're going to the world, bringing the truth. Are there times that we need to be separated and to sit with Christians and be surrounded by this strength and, and, and this love and this presence? Absolutely. But the path of the gospel sends us to a world that's lost and hurting and dying and has no hope apart from this gospel, this truth, this good news that we know. And this woman, she went to the well thinking, I'm going to get water. Leaving with a water that she couldn't explain. Leaving satisfied. So satisfied that she couldn't hold it to herself. She goes to share it with her friends and the people that she knows. And he told me everything I've ever done. But I'm not really upset about that, man. It's amazing. He's got this truth. Could he be the Christ? Could he be the one we've been waiting for? Could he be the Messiah? And as these people listen to this testimony, they believed. What if she had... What if she had said, man, Jesus, thank you for saving me. And took her water and went home. Never said a word. Would that look like any of us? See, the path of the gospel is illuminated by the light of the gospel. And it's meant for us to walk, not away from the world, but to the world. The path of the gospel leads us to find satisfaction in our Savior and our Lord. You see, as the disciples, this is what was cool to me. As the disciples come back, they think, all right, we got this food. Hey, Jesus, go ahead and eat. And Jesus says, well, I've already got food. 
And they're like, where'd you get food at? He says, my food is doing what the Father sent me to do. I'm satisfied because I've been at what God has sent me to do, what the Father has sent me to do. Now, Jesus is not saying he's never going to eat again. He's not saying that you totally withdraw from things of the world. But what he is saying is that he's satisfied, he's fulfilled, as he lives out this purpose that God sent him for. Every one of us have problems and we have struggles and we have, we have difficulties in life and sometimes it's all we can do to focus on those things. Sometimes, sometimes they're so heavy to bear that it just feels like it's all we can do to stay underneath of them without being crushed. And I can tell you, I'm going to point them out, and I, I hope you're okay with it because I didn't ask your permission, but I can tell you as I stood as I stood with the marshes yesterday, I could tell. They've dealt with what seems like one thing right after another. And trying to stand under that when you're alone, but see, in the midst of that, they've got family. And while I don't want to take away from their family, I want to challenge you to look at them as your family. See, because that's what, that's what the gospel calls us to do. To bear one another's burdens with one another. I, I, I met with someone this week that is, is struggling in, 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 in a certain area. And, and I can see so easily how it would become an all-consuming problem. How, how, how can I serve this way? How can I... Stand this way. How could God love me this way? See, the, back, the, the, the path of the gospel calls us to take our eyes off of these circumstances that weigh us down. And they call us to look at our Savior. To look at this God who, who has never given us any reason to doubt, but always given us reason to trust path of the gospel calls us to find our satisfaction in Him. To find our, our fulfillment in His life. And, and, and to find our fulfillment and our joy and our peace in our relationship with Him. You know, the legalists would tell us that Everyone's got to act like me and everyone needs to withdraw from material items or withdraw from this world. The liberal would say something like, hey, it's a gift. I'm going to love it and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to just get as much as I can get and I'm going to, to hoard as much as I, can, as I can hoard and I'm going to gather it all to myself. But the gospel would call us to look to these gifts, to look to these to these to these material items, to, to look to these circumstances and understand that whether good 
or bad, whether hard to deal with or easy and light. They're all being used by God to shape you and form you and make you into the people He's called you to be. Because today He's calling you to go and tomorrow He's calling you to go and the day after that He's calling you to go and He's always preparing you for that moment that you're going to be living in. But He's never told you that you can wait. Be satisfied in Him now. Be fulfilled in Him now. And share that joy and that peace and that, and that gratitude. Let it shine out of you so that it just sprays all over people and they're touched by this truth and love of the gospel. But, but know that He's preparing you and He's leading you down this path for what's tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And the path of the gospel joins us together with the work that others are doing. I want you to think about this because Jesus began to teach the disciples and they're like, he's like, well, I'm fulfilled because I'm doing what God sent me to do. And he begins to speak to them about, I'm, I'm about to give you fruit basically that you didn't work for. He says, look up, the fields are white for harvest. And, and there's some theologians that look at that and they think that, that as they were standing at that well, that he's telling the disciples to look up. And as they look up, they see these Samaritans coming down in white robes, because that's what they wore, coming down in white robes. And he says, look up. The fields are white for harvest. And not once is he speaking about a field or about some crop that's to be harvested, but he's talking about the people of Samaria. And he says... You're about to reap what you did not sow. You're about to, to, to get the satisfaction of reaping something that you didn't put in the ground. Well, who put it in the ground? Started with Jesus. See, Jesus met this woman at the well. And he didn't stay silent. He engaged her. He began to speak to her. He converted her. And she gets up and she goes into her town and she begins to sow seed all over. This guy, I, I met him, he's amazing, he's told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? She's sowing that seed like crazy. And they begin to believe and they begin to follow her and they come down and Jesus says, look up, the fields are white for harvest. And all these Samaritans are coming down and the disciples are about to begin teaching and, 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 and showing people the truth of the gospel. And they're about, there's about to be this huge party and this huge celebration because many people came to believe. And they begin to experience Jesus not because of what she said, but because Jesus always comes and backs up what we say. As long as we're speaking his truth. And so what we begin to see is we begin to see these paths that, that, that what happens as they, as they intermingle and as, as, as they intersect, that the reality is, is that we all have a purpose. We all have a place that we can fit in and that we can be a part and that we can see the gospel being used through us to reach a world that needs to hear it. Not one of us doesn't have a place to fit in. You matter, and, and the role and the thing that you have about you, the gifts and abilities that God's given you, He wants you to use, because as you use your part, your path intersects someone else's, and you may be just sowing seed, but someone else is going to reap it. 
You may, you may be a servant that just, just is, is serving like crazy and someone else is coming behind you and as you serve, they're speaking truth and all of this begins to play together and God uses it to bring truth into a per- person's life and they begin to see the gospel in action and they are converted and they are saved forever. You see, that's what it's all about. We're a family called to work together, called to live together, called to be challenged and and grow together, called to be formed together, and called to go together. We all have a place. We all belong. What God has done in you before matters here because as you step out from here and you speak to people about what's going on here, as you talk about what God's doing in your life, It matters because what you say today may be followed up on by someone tomorrow. Or what you may say today may be followed up by someone in just a few minutes. How you serve in our church, how you serve in the church, it matters. Because all these roads intersect for a reason. See, we're a body. Some people are meant to be a thumb. Some people are meant to be a big toe. I don't know which one I really am. But I can tell you this. What God is doing in you matters to me. And I want you to find that place. I want you to use that gift. I want you to find some way to to not wait until, oh, well, I'm going to have to go to seminary. I'm going to have to get trained. I'm going to have to get prepared. I want you to take what you've got today. And I want you to begin to use it. If you're not using it here, you better be using it where you're plugged in at on Sunday mornings. You need to be using it. Because it's then, I I, I believe that this is the biggest problem in our lives. As we walk this path that the gospel has laid out before us, I believe this is the biggest problem that we face in our lives because... As, as these things overwhelm us and they bear down on us and we see how faulted we are and we see how flawed we are, all of these things begin to weight us down and begin to entangle us and they begin to slow us down and we think, I'm no longer worthy. I can't do it. I'm going to tell you a secret. You were never worthy. You could never do it. But by God's grace, you can And as Paul says, he says to the Philippians, he talks to them about throwing off these chains. Letting them go, dropping them, these weights and these chains that so easily entangle. I want you to focus on what God is doing and I want you to jump in with both feet and I want you to let God use you because as you take your focus off of all of your own struggles and begin to see what God is doing in the lives of others, you know what? Those things won't matter so much. And the truth is that you're likely going to find more people that are going to be willing to stand up next to you and help you with those things, help you carry those things. Look back at where this started. I mean, think about how this started. It starts with one man speaking to one woman. And they reached a whole village. That's what Jesus does. As the paths of our lives intersect and the paths of our life intermingle, that's how He works. 
I want you to see the power of the gospel in this as well. I want you to think first about who this woman was and then who these people were. Think about this. She was a woman who was at the well by herself in the middle of the day, likely because she was an outcast, likely because the way she lived her life was not approved of by other people. Who was the first Samaritan that we know of that became a believer? Her. She did. That's a pretty big honor, if you ask me. Who was the first Samaritan evangelist? She was. You mean to tell me Jesus goes to people like this? Absolutely. Because the power of the gospel transforms. It takes you right from where you were and makes you into who God has always meant you to be. You see, the power of the gospel transforms. She went there as someone who worshipped tradition, who worshipped social uh, expectations, And she left there a worshiper of the one true God. You see, the power of the gospel transforms people. The power of the gospel empowers people. She didn't have credentials. She didn't have any other thing. But she had a testimony. She had a story. She had a personal, a personal interaction with the Savior. Does that describe anyone in here? I hope so. See, here it is. This is what it's all about. This is why all of this matters. As you think about how the light of the gospel illuminates, as you think about how the path of the gospel, you walk it and you're intertwining and you're walking and you're seeing other people come along and and, and you're working together and, and your paths intersect as you're thinking about the power of the gospel, how it's transformed you, how it's, how it's empowered you, and, and what it's doing in you, I want you to think about this. As you get up and you go out tonight, I want you to look up because the fields are white for harvest. I believe there's thousands of people in Springfield that need to hear this truth. I believe even in a city like Fairgrove, that's pretty religious. And, 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 and you know, um, I mean, very, very, uh, I heard stories about how they protected one another and how they looked out for one another. Even in the midst of that, there's people that need to hear this truth. Stratford, what other cities do we have represented here? I think that's it. Oh, Bolivar. Oh, man, Bolivar. You know they need to hear the gospel in Bolivar. That's the reality of it. Everywhere we go, in everything we do, the light of the gospel has shined on you. And because it has, it's reflecting off of you. And it's going to illuminate people's lives. And it's going to illuminate fallenness. But you're going to be there to demonstrate grace. And you're going to be there to demonstrate the mercy of God. Because nobody is ever going to measure up. They need to understand the grace. They need to understand the mercy. But see, then you're going to be walking this path. And you get up. And and, and whether you realize it or not, every morning you get up and you walk this path. 
And as you take a step, look up. Because the fields are white for harvest. There's people who need to hear. There's people who have already heard, who are just waiting. It's just like I said it last week or the week before. Nobody's sitting there saying, Hey, can you come and tell me about the gospel? It just doesn't happen. Sometimes it does, but most times it doesn't. They're waiting. They want to hear the truth. They just don't realize it yet. And the reality is, is that you're walking that path and you're reflecting this light. The reality is this. That you have a power that's not your own. It's transformed you. It's made you a new creation. And that's giving you power. Not just to affect somebody in this one instance but to see their lives changed for eternity. That's God's power. And He's working it through you. So look up as you drive home tonight. Look around. There's people that need to hear the truth. As you go to work tomorrow, think about the people you're speaking with. They need to hear the truth. As you go into the grocery store, as you sit down at a restaurant... As you go to the bank, stop at the post office, talk to your neighbors. They need to hear the truth. And I believe that what Jesus said to the disciples that day still holds true for every one of us. That the fields are white for harvest. There's just people waiting for you to speak with them and talk with them. Let's pray. Father, I can't thank you enough for what you've done in my life, how you've changed me, how you've transformed me, this part you've given me to play. I am so excited about what's ahead for us. I'm so grateful for what you're doing, God. I just pray that it doesn't stop here, that it doesn't stop in the midst of this message, but that you, that, that you just work in us this fire that burns this passion to tell people about your truth, this passion to bring your grace into the midst of a situation that, that, that seems hopeless and helpless. Father, I, I pray that you will work in us so that it becomes so evident to other people that they, will, that, they, that they will recognize the difference before we even open our mouths. I pray that you will strengthen us because I know that as we step out and try to live this life and seek to do this in response to what you've done, there will be opposition. I pray that you give us courage for the, for, for, for the roadblocks and, and for the opposition that we might face. We want so desperately to have an easy road, God. But I pray not for an easy road, but for courage, boldness, for, for strength, for wisdom for each and every person in this room as we go out to affect the world for your kingdom. Father, I pray that we won't forget too soon just what you've done in us so that we'll be ready to share it with others. God, we love you and we thank you. We praise your name. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.